Welcome to Mom and Doc Talk, a podcast for health-conscious parents where you get the perspective of a mom and a dad who's also a pediatrician and pediatric emergency physician. Instead of Googling your way through parenting and hoping for the best, get trusted guidance and be the empowered, savvy, and decisive parent you know you can be. Sleep easy when you follow advice tested by doctors and tried by moms and dads. Here are your mom and dad hosts, Dr. Christopher Haynes and Azure Sullivan. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom and Doc Talk. We're excited to have you with us. Um, hoping everyone survived Easter weekend, um, survived the Passover holidays, and no one has diabetic ketoacidosis from all the sugar, um, stealing all that candy from their kids' Easter baskets. Stop looking at me. <laughs> I am sure that you took lots of candy from your child's Easter basket. I just create my own Easter basket and I gift it to myself so I don't have to do that. But sometimes I purposely buy her things so that I can munch on it. Yeah, so it what makes did, me feel so, less guilty. So what did you steal out of her basket? I like those Brock's. Is it Brock's? It's like they're like a dollar for a pack of five and they're marshmallow bunnies in a green wrapper. No peeps. I like them stale, so they have to sit out. Does uh-huh. anyone else like stale peeps or am I the weirdo? Yeah, I think you might be the weirdo. I like them like when they kind of almost break off. They snap. That's just... <laughs> my daughter actually ate off all the heads of the peeps she just there was like four of them in a row and she just munched on their heads and then put them back <laughs> yeah i think my favorite are definitely anything with peanut butter um anything with nuts in it and definitely stealing some chocolate here and there um i'm not into that gummy candy i can't i can't do I it i need the chewy fruity stuff yeah we're polar opposites with that yeah i know some of you guys Kids are on spring break. Some are home, um, still stealing candy, uh, running around. And some kids are already back. People have different dates of spring break. Some people are away traveling. I know in the emergency department, our volume has been up and down. Uh, We had days where we were seeing 30% higher than we normally would. And yesterday, I didn't see anybody. Um, Everyone was away. Um, So it's been up and down. And we expect it to get killed. So everyone gets sick for the first few days of spring break and then... Oh, everybody comes in before spring break. They oh. want to get they want to get checked. They want to get they, checked. They want to get checked before they go on vacation. Make sure they don't have the flu or the COVID before they before they leave or the as we call it the flu rona, the combination of the both. Flu rona? Okay, yeah, well, I'm going to have to ask you about that. Yeah, it's got flu and and COVID at the same time. Speaking about kids being on spring break in school, uh, I mean, I actually hope it's a good thing and all these viruses just disappear. Because they always do in the summertime. Everybody doesn't mix, and we've gone back to this. No one's wearing masks, and you hear today in the news that, you know, now we're not wearing masks. And I'm kind of torn, but, you know, now you have kids that are not mixing, and they're mixing, and spring break's a good thing. So hopefully maybe some of the viruses will go away. But Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over the whole virus thing. I feel like, I mean, going back to daycare, I – The joke is that, you know, my kid has a runny nose for like three months. Yeah, you and everybody else. And yeah, exactly. And it's like, so what's going on with that? It's a complaint I see every day. You feel like your kid is always sick. Like, my kid's always sick. Why? I feel like a broken record. (laughs) I, I, I literally walk into the room and, you know, I'll ask my nurse, you know, that we have kids. You need to have a, a recording 
and say, please listening to the following prompt. It comes out the same way, but you know, you know, kids sign in and you see them signing in and what are they here for? They're here for cough and congestion and a fever. And it's what we do and we love taking care of that stuff. But when you see it 40 times a day or over and over and over again, it's the same variation. It's the same thing. You know, we get these complaints of my child's been sick for six weeks, eight weeks. There's no way. And really, it could happen, but it's pretty rare. Where they just get one, they go back to school, yeah. they get something else. Correct. And it's, they're still not recovered from the previous thing. Exactly. It's virus after virus with an ear infection or a lung infection mixed in. And it's just, it's like a cesspool of germs when you go to the daycare. I mean, you actually, in our last episode, you talked about you weren't seeing, you know, a certain certain sicknesses and then all of a sudden you're seeing them in the you know springtime when you normally wouldn't see them and you're seeing them on top and combined with other sick other illnesses that you're normally not seeing combined together if if we went back in time one year we weren't seeing anything we didn't see influenza last year we didn't see peaks in rsv when you normally should yeah we we'd see it and we all we cringe every year that we're going to get overrun by RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. I know you scare us with the acronyms. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to speak English <sighs> and not medical ease. Um, but RSV is respiratory syncytial virus, and it can hurt kids. It it's makes them. Sh- 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 yeah, it makes them wheeze. <laughs> um, however, there was this big void in viruses, and when kids went back to school, it's it took, almost like the calm before the storm. Yeah, it was the calm before the storm, and everyone was worried about COVID. Meanwhile, we're seeing every other virus, and they're coming out of season. And we saw hand, foot, and mouth out of season. We saw um, RSV that started, you know, at a different time than it normally would. Influenza, you know, kind of kicked in a little bit late. We're starting to see a lot of influenza A right now, and tons and tons of different viruses and now we're seeing different coronaviruses that are not covid um probably my least favorite phone call to a parent when we check a respiratory viral panel i say your child has coronavirus nl63 and explaining to them they're like what is that and they're like is that covid and (sighs) they think it's covid and you know i have to spend lots of time on the phone with them trying to really talk them off the ledge because they're you know they're thinking they have to quarantine. They have to do all the steps that the CDC recommends, and it's not. It's or it's what's a- that other virus? I remember having a viral panel when I was sick a while ago, and it was COVID forty three. What was it? That's exactly what I'm talking 43. about. Forty three. There's, there's and they're like, oh, you have COVID forty three, and I'm like, what? We ca- we call them and we call them old Corona. They're old Corona, corona before COVID, and they're variations of it because we all know Corona nineteen is just another strain of a. Well, COVID-19 is another strain of coronavirus, yep, and it's been the one that's caused lots of, mm-hmm. as we all know, lots of problems. Going back to the daycare thing, I sometimes get these letters are like, oh, yeah, you've been, exp- your kid has been exposed in this like class COVID-19 with or- hand, foot, mouth, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this damn letter? Well, I think part of it is understanding, like, what daycare is, Right. And and, know, and not only, you know, she's exposed, but if you have not had hand, foot, mouth when you were a kid, you might get it yeah, as ab- an adult. So Absolutely. It's pretty rare, but you certainly could get it. Or older siblings could get it. Lots of people could get it. But it's really thinking about that concept of daycare, right? So, you know, little ones, if they're under two or under four, I don't, I don't know what 
rules around your daycare are, but does your child have to wear a mask? She actually did until, and this is the funny thing, everyone was required to wear a mask, right? So I put in a lot of effort for her to practice with a mask, wear a mask. And you showed and up she, and she's the only one did. wearing a mask. We were putting them on her animals. We were putting them on me. We were wearing them around the house. She was super excited to even wear a mask. She's like, oh, I want to wear my mask. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're at home. I'm eating dinner, but okay. And then she goes to school. She wears it all day. And then I, I go in, I drop her off, and like I see nobody wearing a mask. And I'm like, I got a sp- very specific letter saying we're you know encouraging parents. No, we're not. It's mandatory that parents make their kids wear masks. Yeah, I don't see any kid in here wearing a mask except for mine. So it's like, well, what the hell? Uh, how does that make me feel? Like you're supposed to be reinforcing this. But I think a lot of the times they're scared to tell the parents, listen, your kid's not wearing a mask. You need to teach your kid to wear a mask. But I- – I think it was really challenging with it COVID. It was so challenging. And everyone was scared. And my kid is pretty chill, so I can only imagine for a kid it just doesn't want to wear anything on their face. And, and there were daycares that honestly just shut down. They really did. For huge gaps of time. They really Because did. everybody in the class either got exposed to COVID, had COVID. And it really, it kind of epitomizes the concept of what happens at daycare. And I know you and I have talked about this before. You've asked me the question, you know, why does my daughter cough for you know, six months at a time, well, she's going to cough. And it's a highly contagious environment. Kids are playing, they're handing blocks back and forth and toys and running around. They're sticking their fingers in their nose, their fingers and their ears, their butts, everything. Yeah. So, and it's not just theirs. So, and then you have teachers that are helping change diapers, you know? So what's the key? It's hand washing, teaching your kid how to wash their hands really, really well you're not really going to prevent it. And I think that's the hard thing as a parent, right? You have to send your child potentially to daycare, but then also realize they're going to get sick. And it, in some literature, it doubles the number of times you're going to get sick. An average child you know, in a year of life gets 10 or 12 viruses. You could double that. And then you can get bacterial stuff on top of it as well. So as a parent, how challenging is that where, you know, you have to be at work, you know, if you have a, a two salary family where everyone needs to work and your kid needs to be at daycare, what do you do? Oh, gosh, it is not easy. I can tell you that. So what are you seeing? I mean, I have more about that in my opinions, but are, what are you seeing? Viral, bacterial? It's across the board, even in not this season, it's always viral. And right now, you know, I can probably count five, six, seven viruses that we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of influenza and it's really kicked up over the last two weeks, a couple of weeks before Easter. And it really kicked in. And I, I expect with mixing around Easter that it's probably going to kick up a little more and continue for a while. It tends to calm down once kids, once we hit that kind of warmer period and kids are, are outside, they're playing, they're not inside and cooped up all the time. We're seeing other coronaviruses, and these are ones that cause common cold. Uh, we're seeing parainfluenza, which is croup, um, middle of the night. And I love croup. Croup is great. You know, croup is parents. I, parents really know when their kids have croup, and I, I always ask them, "Does your is your child barking like a seal?" And it's, it's. I mean, it literally sounds like a seal. Can you do that again? No, I cannot. It sounds like a dog or a seal. But they make this noise and parents always come in and they say they're wheezing and they don't wheeze. Um, Croup is a, it's a, not a bacteria, it's a virus that causes swelling below the vocal cords. I find it fascinating because it makes the air spin and that's what makes that 
barky noise and you can hear it from a block away. I mean, I've, I've been literally typing at my, my computer on my electronic medical record and I can hear it four doors down. I'm like, oops, got to go down there right now. And they have parents come, they're wheezing and they're not wheezing. They have something called strider and it's, and that's the noise they make. And it's amazing. And you can tell parents things to do and you can really help them with it. So we're seeing that we're starting to see other virus. I saw some, a little bit of hand, foot and mouth last week. No pink eye. No pink um, eye? We've seen a little bit of pink eye. I almost feel like pink eye is like not what you, you know, I feel like it, I saw it a lot when years ago. I know I just uh, don't really. We still see it. it. It comes in epidemics and runs through daycares. It runs through schools mm-hmm. and you know, we haven't seen RSV in a while, to be very, very honest. And I'm sure we'll see a little influenza B coming down the road after influenza A. It typically does. So they're the viruses we're seeing right now. There's lots out there. We're seeing, we saw human metanumovirus for a while. Um, there's tons. And they cause different illnesses in different kids. We can tell the kids that come in with influenza. And we can probably tell the kids that have influenza and have been vaccinated as well. The kids that haven't, they have 104, 105 t- five fevers. They look like they got hit by a truck. And you know, they a lot of them aren't medicated properly. And we can really help them. We teach them how to do ibuprofen, how to do Tylenol, lots of fluids. Um, but that's what we're seeing right now. I love when Dr. Chris tells me, oh, by the way, there's like three GI things going around. And he tells me this, your and fa- I'm like, your favorite. oh, my God. I almost want to block out vacation time from when he says this to me because they are rampant. And I have been really, really, and I don't, I'm knock on wood, I don't know how, like, the three big GI infections that my daughter had, I skipped them, but everyone else around me got them. Like, you know, diarrhea, vomiting profusely just, like, for, like, three days, and and then it, it's so easily spread. Like then my babysitter gets it, then her kids get it, and then you know you get it, <laughs> and then your kids get it, and your family, and then it, it goes on and on. And my friends get it, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm fine, I'm fine. Why, why are you guys feeling sick? And then everyone else is <laughs> down for the count. But anyway, I, the heads up when you give me, it's like, oh God, uh, I, I'm taking note, and I'm telling my boss, and I'm just like, hey, just so we know, this might happen. I think for everyone, one of the things to note with that is the rotavirus vaccine that you can get at two months of age for your child. <clears throat> and if you've not experienced rotavirus, and I don't think your daughter's ever had rotavirus, you would know it. The poop comes out. It is gray and it is the stinkiest poop you've ever smelled <laughs> no, in your not. entire life. We used to have units of it and kids would get extremely dehydrated they would look disgusting. They would have electrolyte abnormalities. And that's why that vaccine was developed, was to prevent all those complications. But God, if you've never experienced it, I hope you never do. Uh, the ones that you're seeing now are norovirus and astrovirus, and they cause a couple days of GI stuff. Norovirus is the one you usually see on cruise ships. Cruise ships. That's why, that's why you get in the line at the buffet and they make you wash your hands and, and sanitize beforehand because that's typical of outbreaks on cruise ships. I cannot imagine being on a cruise ship and everyone having an outbreak of that. I don't want to experience that either. Yeah. And when you tell me these things, it's like, great, you're telling me, but now I'm more not like I know now. So now I just don't want to even do it. With that being said, how, how do we take care of them? The kids, the viruses. 
the infections. Yeah. What are we doing? Most viruses are, they go away on their own. And really, it's supportive care. And No one wants to hear that, Dr. Well, Chris. It is, but there's things that you can do that, you know, I... It's interesting. You go back and I mean, look. there's nothing more frustrating than a parent being like, I don't know why my kid is sick. And then you tell them you just need to like basically hold it, hold it out. Just But supportive care for me is ibuprofen, Tylenol, ibuprofen if you're over six months. Um, you don't have any bleeding disorders and you don't have problems. You, you can't have it. But you maximize your ibuprofen. You maximize your Tylenol. Think about it. And I think parents forget this sometimes. You know, parents react to fevers. And they only seem to give ibuprofen and Tylenol when there's fevers. Your kid feels horrible. They feel like crap. They're laying there and they're like, well, my kid's not drinking. Well, they're not because they have, they feel horrible. Maybe think their of, throat hurts. Their think about how body aches headache. you get when you and the headaches and they can't communicate with you at three years old and they just want to hug you and hold you. And, you know, many times you come into the ER, we examine them. We're looking for bacterial infections. We're looking for a cause. We're trying to fix this. If we could fix viruses, I'd be a billionaire. Um, there's, you know. Hold on one second. If you could fix viruses. So oh, there's. give me your spiel. My kid has a virus. What do you tell me? I, I want I want antibiotics. Well, first of all, it's, you don't treat it with antibiotics. <laughs> exactly. And that's really what's important. And we, one of the big things in the United States right now is antimicrobial stewardship. And there has been a long time where even in the health profession, we've not been great at it. Right. We didn't have a lot of testing. Our viral testing is getting better by the day, you know, in the ER. And this really even got better with COVID. I can test for 35 viruses and have it back in two, three hours. So I can tell a parent, do I need to do that on every eight year old? No, it's a virus. It's going to run. A, it's going to run its course. There are very few viruses besides COVID that we needed to know. And even in kids, we didn't really need to know either because most of them weren't getting sick. So, but I know that you have a frustration when parents come in and they say, I want antibiotics for this. And you say, well, politely, I can't give you an antibiotic because it's not bacterial. Yeah, I, I, I feel for the parents. They really want oh, it to absolutely. go away. And, and honestly, but this, is edu- this is informative. So this is what we're doing. But, but think about what happens if, you know, there's what ends up happening is we get drug resistance and what. An antibiotic that worked three years ago doesn't work anymore when your child truly gets a bacterial infection. That's a problem. You know, in my career- So you can't just take all the leftover antibiotics in your pantry when you feel sick? No, they should be thrown away. Absolutely. Antibiotic resistance. I I watch parents give it their siblings antibiotics, their siblings drugs, their siblings albuterol when they have asthma. Um, People are really looking for a solution. And I get that. I understand it. They want their child to be better. And- you know, around coughing, for instance, you know, I, I tell parents this, I said, the cough's really bothering you more than it's bothering the child sometimes. And, you know, it's hard to listen to your child. I've, I've had kids, many, many kids over the last few weeks, the parents have come in in the middle of the night and they're coughing, they can't sleep. I can't make that post-nasal drip go away. It's not, it's not, it's not in their lungs. Yeah, correct. Keep them raised. And you do have to be weary, and that's kind of what you asked to start with. You know, what is what does virus look like versus a bacterial infection, right? So if you have a virus that continues and you have fever that continues three, four, five days, 
You know, if it's past three, you probably need to get your pediatrician involved because then we want to really look out for it. We start thinking about other causes. We think about lung infections. We think about ear infections uh, in girls and certainly younger boys. We think about urinary tract infections as well. So those are certain things we have to look for. So, you know, it's important to understand the reason why we give antibiotics and the reason we don't. So a virus is not going to go away with a antibiotic. Um, certain viruses have treatments for, for instance, influenza has Tamiflu and that's an antiviral treatment, but most of them don't. So it goes back to, you know, you laughing at me over supportive care. It's fluids, you know, kids will lay there. If you don't make them feel better, they're not going to drink. And I can tell you a lot of times I, kids will come in and I ask a parent when they've had an antipyretic or an ibuprofen or Tylenol recently, and they tell me eight hours. And I give them ibuprofen in the ER, I give them Tylenol in the ER, I watch them for a half hour, and they're you know, chowing down 30 popsicles you know, 20 minutes later. And that's what we want to see. We want to get them feeling better, and you want to get them to drink, not get dehydrated. And you want to also look out for secondary bacterial infections. And the pattern we see with that is viral, 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 get better for a day or two, and then they get sick again. And that should be a red flag to any parent. And it's something that we would look at as well. And typically, you know, bacterial infections, they get, they look a little bit sicker as well. You talk about ibuprofen, Tylenol. I was just grabbing some Motrin the other day and children's Motrin and I'm in the section and I'm passing by, you know, all this, you know, Burt's bees or something bees. Zarbies. Zarbies. I'm I'm passing, you know, this, this and that, all these brands of natural remedies and over the counter anti cough, you know. So what what's all what is your thoughts about that? I mean, I kinda know, but So there there's some data to back up some positives, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But if we go back and we go to our, what I'll call our governing bodies, right? It's the American Academy of Pediatrics and what their governing recommendations are and the literature behind it. And 30 years ago, when, and younger when I was a kid, you know, they would slam us with codeine, with codeine cough medicine, and I'd be unconscious for two days and wake up, feel better. And, you know, these days there's actual research and the research shows a few things. It doesn't really improve your quality of life. It doesn't shorten the illness and there are side effects. And many of those cough medicines have a fair amount of side effects with it. It's pretty big business. So, you know, if you think about what's out there, you know, every time I turn on a television, every advertisement during the wintertime is, you know, the, the green mucinex monster and, you know, a different cough medicine. And honestly, I'm not sure the yield that you're getting and they're really expensive to top it off. So you're basically telling us we just have to weed it out. Ibuprofen, Tylenol, hugs. I would agree a thousand percent. And honestly, that's part, a lot of my job. And we talk about saying it over and over and over again. And, you know, I tell parents, unfortunately, it, it, your child examines like they have a virus. Their history is consistent with the virus. And you need to keep a close eye on them. You need to give them that supportive care. And you need to give them those hugs. And then you got to deal with daycare. Can they go back? Can they not go back? You know, we need work notes. We need school notes, all those things. So it's, 
it's part of our job. It's what we do every day, and we hopefully do it in a very passionate way. Um, but it's hard, you know. Some families they really want antibiotics, and you know we talked about that resistance. I want my child to have an antibiotic that works, and there's there's antibiotics that when I first started my career, we would treat a urinary tract infection with. I can't use that antibiotic anymore. It doesn't work. It's completely resistant, and. Every day there are more, there's more resistance occurring when we look at cultures. So think about that. If we continue to change and we don't have those antibiotics we need and it's becoming a bigger problem, that's really why patients need to know about that anti antimicrobial stewardship as well. And for that, for us, it's really prescribe the right antibiotic in the most narrow spectrum possible and treat what you're supposed to be treating and don't give it out. So, you know what, hey, you look like a sinusitis or you have bronchitis, which is probably viral and giving that antibiotic because it's probably not going to do anything and it might hurt you as well. You know, how many kids have I seen come in with, well, they had a virus, they got treated for X, which maybe didn't exist, or maybe it did, and now they have massive diarrhea from their antibiotic. Um, that's a problem. So, you know, we're all trained with it. We're all working. We're None of us are perfect, and we're all working in a direction to try to be stewards of the proper drugs at all times. I'd like to add that, and I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more, about when your kid is sick and you have all this frustration associated with, well, now they're out of school, I have to take off of work, all these things, right? And it's, it's important to not make it their problem, the kid's problem. Make them feel as, you know, loved and cared for as, as much as possible and they will feel a lot better. You know, I see, I've seen it when I was a kid, my parents, you know, my dad, especially getting frustrated when I was sick. Oh, you're sick again. Oh yeah. Oh my God. And then forget about me upstairs and I'm not, you know, eating or drinking for a while. And it's like, you feel even worse and you have all this like guilt, like, oh, now I'm staying home from work, you know, like <laughs> in the best way possible, of course. But, you know, it's a really important for us to not, it's really easy for us to forget that. Like they just want to be hugged and watch cartoons and give them that cookie you that know it's the best time yeah just just do it makes them feel so much better so we, we i you know we get frustrated it's easy to think about money or what's the next you know how can we make this go by as fast as possible so now my you know my kid has what a runny nose and i gotta go on this app for daycare and i gotta fill out all these questions associated with COVID 19 does your kid have a runny nose? Uh, new? Does she? Uh, you know, what's the temperature? Uh, I'm just going to put 98.1. <laughs> Does she have uh... So you're being super honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, is there fever reducing medications involved? Mm, who's asking? Uh, so you, you're weighing this out. You're trying to be honest and you're like, do I go to work or do I stay home well, it's, today? It, it's like an opera. Over it's like a an freaking opera, runny nose. And it plays out all Could day. Could be allergies. And honestly, those are the kids that end up in my ER because what's happened is at 12 noon, they've noticed finally that the kid has a runny nose and has a low-grade fever and they call the parent. And then they can't return until they're seen by a doctor. And their pediatricians are so busy with all the other kids that are sick, it's this cycle that goes over and over and over again every afternoon. And you're taking a gamble. 
by sending your kid in, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we've all been there. You've been there, Dr. Chris. I have not been there at you all. You haven't? Not at all. <laughs> Seeing, like, you know, balancing, like, okay, I think it's just a running, it's fine. She'll be okay. She'll go to school. What's the worst that can happen, right? You're thinking all the, you're weighing them out in a matter of three seconds in your brain before you go to work. I, I will also say that emergency medicine is very different, right? I don't get sick days. I've, I don't think I've ever called out in my career because we couldn't. So in a way, there's times where we have a sore throat and we're feeling a little off and, you know, we end up going because we have to, you know, we don't, I can't call in. Lots of Ricolas in your pocket. Yeah. And we try to get through it. Just like when you go to work and you're not feeling a hundred percent, you know, what I, know, I, but today would is I so... go with 105 fever? No, yeah. I wouldn't. Um, but it's, you know, look, it's struggling with our economy and going to work and, you know, rising Everyone's gas like, oh, prices. You, sneezed. you probably yeah. are sick. You can't come into work today. It's like, well, okay, well, I've already, I've sneezed eight times in the past month. I, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's tough because. You How know, many days can you take off? Well, it's, it's also with people with COVID, people got sick and died. And Absolutely, God, yeah. you don't want to be responsible for that either. And I, I, I watched people being really, really responsible and saying, you know what? I don't feel well. I'm not coming in. I think that's great. And I did the same thing because we had to. Um, but at the same time, you know, what do you do about daycare? And I get asked that question every day. When can my child go back? Yeah. What are the requirements? Um, I don't make the daycare rules. And the rules are different. They're, for, they're different. They're all pretty similar, they're all, but they're different. They're all different. And I've seen variations. And my response, and this is, it's not to be mean, I don't make those rules. You need to talk to your teachers. You need to talk to the person who runs the daycare. My rule and what we're all taught is if you have a fever on Monday, you can't go to school on Tuesday. You have conjunctivitis. General rules are you are treated. You can go back 24 hours later if you have antibiotic eye drops or ointment. So, you know, does that work? And I, I guess I kind of struggle with that as well, because as we think about COVID and we think about other viruses, you're generally contagious three to five days before you show symptoms and you're contagious afterward for three to five days at minimum. So that's- and here I am paying weekly. But that's the same thing. You're at gonna... a daycare, I'm paying. And regardless if she goes, I still pay. That's, that's part of dealing with that's it. That's what I mean. Yeah. So parents are gambling. They're like, I just can't risk losing, whether it's money or time or. Well, I would ask our listeners how many parents have given their kids Tylenol and ibuprofen and sent them off to school. I would bet a fair amount. And I don't think it's uncommon for that to happen. We've seen it. I've seen it in the ER all the time. Um, so, you know, and I, I think I get it. You know, they're like we talked about daycare increases in school increases your likelihood of getting a virus and some literature says it doubles the amount of viruses you get in a year i mean i have parents that come in that are at their wits end they're like please fix this my child you know they're literally like almost sobbing with their hands folded on their knees like please fix it and it's sad because you can't i wish i could but i can't and you ask me what i tell them what's the spiel it's i'm sorry but you know it looks like your child has a virus and this is what I'm going to recommend. And younger kids, a little different, younger, like babies and, you know, young toddlers. The other thing that really works is nasal saline and suctioning. 
Um, young babies are obligate nose breathers, so that's a key. And I will tell parents before every feed, make sure you suction your child. And that is supportive care as well. Making them so they can breathe, yeah, eat well. Humidifiers absolutely work. Um, those are things that you can add on. Um, sore throat, gargle with salt water, spit it out. It works. It works just as well as cough drop. Oh, yeah. Um, there is some something out there that says that, and there's some literature that says that honey works a little bit, and there's some natural stuff with honey. So, and that's kind of the basis behind Zarbees. But again, we don't want to give honey to kids, kids under, under kinder, two. Kids under a year. Year and a half or a, I see numbers, year and a half. Yeah, it's, it's because of their risk for botulism. And it can cause some serious neurologic problems from the spores and it can be a huge problem. You know, botulism is interestingly seen on the coasts, uh, mostly. Um, it's actually seen in our area. Um, it's seen in the Chester County area of Pennsylvania, and it's seen out in the in California area. Um, when we have botulism and we're trying to test for it, we actually send it to a lab in California. Um, so pretty wild, and you can get it from the air, and you can get it from honey. And you get it from the air, especially around areas of construction when it's kicked up and it's windy in the spring and the fall. So pretty wild. It is really crazy, and it's scary too. It's scary. Um, Going back to the requirements, you know, you have what, diarrhea for no more than, what, 24 hours, uh, fever, what, two two days, no fever. I, I, go, I tell parents, I said, you have to use your judgment because people want me to say, well, when can they go back to school? Well, when they're feeling better and they're not having mucus pouring out of every orifice and they're not having the diarrhea, they're not having the vomiting, then they can probably go back. And I can't tell you when that's going to be. If they're here in my ER on day one, and you know it might be day three, it might be day four, it might be day five, uh, we try to support them. We give them notes as we can. We give work notes as we can, and hopefully work understands. Uh, but that's a challenge. And of course, when our kids are sick, the inevitable always happens. We get sick. And I, I, I don't remember before I had. A, and as a mom, you don't get a sick day. Oh my gosh! I well, hold on. Uh, I like never remember ever being sick. And then I have a kid, and it's like I'm sick every you know two three months or whatever, right? Uh, she didn't get really sick at all her first year of life, you know, thanks to breastfeeding. But it's like she gets something, and I'm like, okay, I'm counting three days, and I'm gonna get the symptoms. It's usually two. It's like two for me and then three for her dad. And then if anybody else gets it, it's like a day after all of us. I, I, I it's, 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 that's the, the, so you're the testing, formula. You're testing the incubation period. <laughs> it just happens all the time. So then, you know, this, this is, this is what, this is what happens. This is what happens. I have a really great day. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a Monday night, you know, I'm like, okay, today was really great. Tomorrow's going to be really excellent. I'm going to get so much done tomorrow. I have this wonderful to-do list. All right. You know, I go to bed. I, I have the greatest sleep of my life. Okay. I'm like, this is going to be a good Tuesday. I know it. I wake up, I go into my daughter's room and the kid is covered in a rash. And I'm like, what the heck? And all I thought was, now I have to call in work sick because she's sick with something now i have to think about the next few stages of my day all in the matter of like 15 seconds 
Like, okay, she's not going to school. I got to call my boss. I'm not coming into work. What do I do? And there's just this laundry list of things to do. And then I'm like, I'm probably going to get sick. My whole week is done. My whole week is done. And just that, all of that is super overwhelming. It's really hard. And that's just part of being the parent, right? You've been there. Absolutely. It's brutal. And it it feels like it never ends, even when they go to high school. No, it does. It it ends a lot. It it ends really, the, the transition period is when you get out of daycare and preschool. And they're old enough to begin to wash their hands and to blow their nose and to do lots of other things. And it starts to improve, I think, when you hit grade school. So we just have to hang on to that. Yeah, the get, light at the end get, of the Get tunnel. to grade school and you're better. Yeah. Will it go away completely? No. But high school kids are, you know, then they have mono. You know, but besides that, you know, they're going to get all the other viruses as well. But it certainly gets a little better. Now, perfect timing for viruses is always when you don't want them to happen. I was away on a nice international trip with my child, and she had hand, foot, and mouth disease. What a perfect time. How fun was that? that? Oh, it was fantastic. At first, I thought it was a reaction to the sunblock. Nope. Kid has hand, foot, mouth. (laughs) So what what did she have? So, oh my gosh. Uh, Started out like these little red like bumps look like more towards her ankles and her legs and and her arms and I'm like okay we're gonna switch sunblock and of course I only brought one brand of sunblock with me so I had to go buy more sunblock so I get the other sunblock and I try all these things and of course and but I mean thank god I carry medications ibuprofen Tylenol with me a thermometer I'm monitoring her her fever that she got like the next day um, you know, so it was easy to identify, you know, I'm looking for the symptoms, I'm looking for the warning signs, you know, just knowing her, right? Knowing her reaction, her irritability, all those things. But it was it was fun, needless to say. Anyway, so hand, foot, mouth disease. Yeah, hand, foot, and mouth disease is caused by Coxsackie virus. And it's it's pretty wild. It's a virus that causes a rash and it's it's typically they look like I'll describe them as shallow red lesions on your hands and your feet. And then you get these gray, nasty ulcers. They look like tiny millimeter ulcers on the back of your throat. And I don't really care as a doctor about the rash because it's not going to hurt your child. I do care about the back of the throat because what happens in the most common complications, they don't drink. They get high fevers, like we talked about. They're blah. They're slugs. They lay there, and they don't want to drink anything. And what you can do, it works, is ibuprofen as usual. Uh, I know you've told me this every time. Well, Dr. Kirsch, you're going to tell me ibuprofen and Tylenol again. And warm compresses. And warm (laughs) fluids. You're going to feel some pressure. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Um, But that's really what's – you want to help them with their pain. And popsicles works wonders. And occasionally, and we use it a little less now, there's something called magic mouthwash. And it is a combination of viscous lidocaine, which sometimes we don't use in young kids because they swallow it, but Maalox, which coats the ulcers. You think you drink that for an upset stomach, it will actually coat the ulcers as well. And then Benadryl. Benadryl is a medicine for allergies, but it also has some um, properties that will numb the back of your throat as well. So kind of cool. Your doctor may prescribe it for you in various different ways, but really it's trying to get them to drink. But that had to be brutal because it's even worse when it's hot 
And yeah, we went to a very warm yeah, I remember, location. I remember you telling me you were in a warm place and God, I, mm, not fun. Yeah, I think it was just because, you know, we're far away and just trying to figure that out uh, was wonderful. But, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm going through my checklist in my mind. I got to check her temperature, you know, is she have a runny nose, what's going on? She, is this everywhere else um, on her body, you know, and of course texting you, right? Um, yeah, I remember those texts and thinking to myself, oh, God, is this COVID? And thinking to myself, are you going to be able to get out of that warm place? And it was in the middle of COVID that you were traveling. So that had to be even scarier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do remember her having, you know, let's talk about the, these. Since we're on the topic of this, let's talk about the, the croup that she once had. And, you know, other kids are having, you know, at her, her age or younger. Um, the barking noise is so distinct. Yeah, we talked, I mean, it's from the air spinning like we talked about and that swelling below the vocal cords. But the biggest thing that, you know, you probably do need to get treatment of some sort. And we have medications we can give you to help with it. It's one of the few times when you come in for a virus and I'm like, I'm relieved because I can say to the parent, you know what, if they have that strider, that (gasps) noise we talked about earlier, I can give a medicine for that and it usually will take care of it. The other thing we can give is we can give a steroid, which will help as well. And we usually give a medicine called dexamethasone, and it sits in your system for two, three days. And by the time the virus goes along its its path, you'll feel a little better, and the kids will do better. Uh, I think what's really important is what do you do when your kid is actively having a bout of croup, and they're having that strider noise, they're having that barking noise, and it usually the onset's in the middle of the night. The typical scenario is... My child went to bed. They were perfectly well. It was that great Monday night, but this isn't in the morning. This is at two in the morning. They wake up and you hear, God, I I thought I didn't have a dog. And next thing you know, you have one and they're barking. And I've seen the old way to do it was go put them in a shower. If it's cold outside, don't put them in the shower, go outside. And we know that because kids that come in by ambulance, they're better by the time they get to us half the time because the cold air makes the, it makes the swelling go down a little bit. So I always tell parents, you can try the shower, go outside. I'm a big, croup comes in what we call almost seasonal epidemics. We see it in the fall and we see it in the spring. I hate the Indian summer nights. It's 88 degrees outside, it's fall and croup is around. All the kids are gonna end up in our ER really, really sick. So if it's cold outside and it's early spring, take them outside. Yeah, I do want to add, you know, when you were talking about being away, one of the things that we think is really important for a future episode, we're going to have a travel expert on, really talk about what we recommend that you bring with you, um, some of the things for like a travel pack and play, what a travel first aid kit might look like, what medicines you should bring with you, how to travel with them. Um, So we look forward to doing that in the future. So Dr. Chris, with all of these wonderful viruses that we talked about today, can we? Can you kind of give us a really great summary of prevention? How to make this better for us? So my first response is going to be virus, virus, virus. They're all viruses. 99% of what children get that are illnesses are viruses. So it's something we all have to deal with. And as parents, it's getting 
good at managing those viruses and balancing and trying to balance your job, balance daycare, balance all of those things, which you talked about, it's really challenging, right? So young babies up until one, two years of age, we talked about that nasal suction, right? Get good at it. It's, it looks like you're like ripping out the inside of their nose when you do it. They're crying, they're screaming, there's goop everywhere. I know you feel badly holding them down, trying to get this yeah. out of them. And it's, look. Stick I, with it. It's, do it. You're, they, will, they will do better. It's something we routinely do. Almost the first thing we do in the emergency department when a young baby is congested because we know they need to feed. And they are obligate nose breathers, which means they need to breathe through their nose. So saline drops work great. Saline spray. Um, if you have someone to help you do it, it really is a two-person job. Um, so if you can get someone to help, that's great. If you know, you're a single mom, try to get somebody who are single dad, try to get someone to help you and make your life a little bit easier. So that's really the key. And we go back to the Tylenol. We don't give ibuprofen under six months of age, but make them feel better. Make sure they're hydrated. Lots of hugs, lots of kisses. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, it's, it's hard. And then if you're sick on top of it, you it's, know, it feels it's almost impossible, Correct. but you know what? Get some help. And yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people will be like, well, if you're sick, I don't want to come near you, but. And then let's, let's talk about, you know, grade school and teenagers, right? You know, we kind of went that top, like that preschool range all the way up and preschool, it's the same thing, you know, keep their nose clean. And by that time, they're probably two, three years old, they're blowing their nose. Um, we'll talk about prevention in a minute, but we've talked about what we can do for them. It's the ibuprofen, it's the Tylenol, it's lots of fluids. It'll run its course and go away. I have a special category. You know, grade school kids are, it's probably, they're always smiley. They're always happy. They love school. You know, they're, they do really well with the medications. Then you get to like 13, 14 year olds, 15. I call them slugs. And they just lay there. They don't drink. They come in dehydrated after one week of some sort of viral illness. And it's the same thing. You have to support them. And it's a really challenging time because they want autonomy as well. And they just lay up in their bed and you look at them and it's happened to my son. You look at them three days later and they're dehydrated. And you're like, oh God. And they come into the ER and we're like, you know, you need to have eight ounces of, of Gatorade every couple hours or every hour just to keep hydrated. So be aware that age group can be a challenge. And really prevention wise, we've talked about this. This is coughing into your elbow washing your hands, teaching your kids to wash their hands when they're very, very young, setting that example for them and hand sanitizer and really getting into the routine. Yeah. And make and, it fun and making good decisions about your child going to school and everybody making good decisions. Right. If your kid's been coughing for six months, every kid's been coughing for six months and understanding that. And some kids will get ear infections and bacterial infections and all of those things. And you may need to see your pediatrician or come to the emergency department, but definitely understanding viruses are really important. They're not treated with antibiotics and it's something that can easily be done to take care of your child with supportive care and give them those hugs and kisses and Hopefully you don't get it yourself. But one of the things we're super excited about is after our last episode, we got a ton of questions from moms and a few dads. And Azure's going to read one of those questions right now, and we're going to talk about it. So she says, 
Hi, I'm a new mom and I have a four-week-old baby boy. I have three dogs and a cat and really just started to worry if they were a risk to my baby. I have family members telling me to get rid of them. Is this true? So it's a double-edged sword. And this I'm, is a good one. So yeah, thanks for this question, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And hopefully we can help others. And I'm, I've had dogs all my life and I've had cats, not a big a fan of cats as I was when I was younger, but animals are great and animals are great for kids. It teaches them a lot of positive things, but you have to be careful with animals. And one of the things that scares me as a, as a pediatric emergency physician is bites and especially dog bites. And we've seen very tragic dog bites and with young children where they're typically face bites. And we see it in the, you know, with little dogs, with big dogs. And, you know, I see pictures all the time on Instagram and Facebook of, you know, the baby laying next to the Doberman pincher. And I, I want to cringe because I've seen that dog actually bite a child. So, I mean, there's a lot of parents out there that will say, my dog has never been aggressive. My dog has always been loving. I trust until my it, dog. Until it happens. And that's what we kind of just want to... And, and I'm not saying in any way that you shouldn't have a dog, and I think they're great, but I think it takes some extra care. It's understanding. We see a lot with older dogs, and big older dogs, they're, they're the ones that are tragic. And it's the kid who's playing and they're toddlers and they're poking the dog in the nose and they're sticking their no, you know, fingers in their eyes and their mouth and they just happen to hit them the wrong way and the dog reacts. They're animals. And really be careful with young babies, um, especially with cats. Don't let them in the crib with your baby. Um, they can bite as well. And if you think about it, animal bites, um, they have a bacteria in their mouth called Pasteurella and Pasteurella multocida. And it's treated with one type of antibiotic. We usually use Augmentin. But if you think about dog bites, dog bites don't get as infected as cat bites. Dog bites get infected when they get torn and they shake. And animals that are predator animals like dogs, they will pick up a child and they will shake them. And that tears the tissue and leads to infection. Cats, on the other hand, if you look at their, their fangs, they're curved. They dig into the skin and they push back. And cat bites are more likely to get infected than dog bites are. And then you can get skin infections. You can get a lot of, you can get impetigo from them. You can get fleas. Um, there are other things that you can get from animals. So just be careful. Um, I would tell your family member, you know, this is a, you know, if your dog is a dog you've had for a long time, I've had the dog, we're going to take some extra precautions and be very, very careful. But just be careful of bites, be careful of kids that are unsupervised around dogs. And that's even if you're a grandparent and you have an animal, you've got to be really careful. And like I said, I've seen tragedies where I've had children then picked up by their skull or picked up by an arm. And, you know, there have been deaths as a result of, of dogs, not cats so much, and just be really careful. What do the parents say when they're, they bring their child in after one of these tragic bites? I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. I think that they're torn and it's really hard. And I've seen, they're I've seen, like, they're a member of the family. I've seen people cry and where they're like, we don't know what to do. And they know really what need they need to do. 
and they, you know, if it was a really bad bite, they may need to put the dog down um, because they may bite again. There was a reason behind it. They may not. And I've counseled people both directions. Um, I, I've seen extremes where I've watched people literally kill their dog on the spot. Um, I had a dad who brought a head of a dog into the, into the emergency department in a plastic bag because he wanted it tested for rabies. And, you know, clearly that's the extreme and you don't want to see that happening and you want to be, don't be cruel to animals. But at the same time, what I'm really a big proponent of is safety. And that goes not only for your animals, but electricity and, you know, the same way that you would prevent your child from sticking a screwdriver in an outlet, which you don't want to happen because they'll get electrocuted or they'll get shocked. You don't want your child sticking a screwdriver in a dog's eye because they're going to bite you. It all goes back to supervision. You also want your dog to be trained very well. And I've had animals that huge dogs and we taught them from very young. We put hands in their mouth so that they knew that when the kids touched them, they weren't going to react. And, you know, we have therapy dogs in the hospital. They go through years of training. Therapy dogs are amazing. I will, I remember one in one of the hospitals, a big St. Bernard. It used to walk around with another dog on its back, a little baby dog. <laughs> the kids love the animal. And literally they could jump on that dog. They could, they could use it like a trampoline and it just laid there and just was super happy. But those dogs are trained. And it takes training. It also takes vigilance. And as a parent, being very vigilant. And it only takes a split second. And usually it's a face or a hand, one of the two. And many of those scars, you can't fix. You know, once you're cut, you're going to have some sort of scar. And we can minimize it. Plastic surgery can minimize it. And we're going to have a guest on at some point that talks about scarring and talks about lacerations and wounds and I deal them every with them every day but I wanted to have a plastic surgeon come on and be an expert with us as well so I'm excited about that but think about the things that possibly could happen so thank you again for the question absolutely it's that's a very good question it's something that you're going to have to wrestle with I hope we guided you a little bit um I wouldn't get rid of your animals I would talk to your family and get a little more training for your dog and train yourself as well you know, maybe you don't want to leave the the dog alone with an infant or leave the dog alone with a toddler. Um, probably a four or five-year-old a little bit better, um, but they get bitten as well. And be aware that as animals get older, they get a little more crotchety just like we do. And, you know, they're not going to tolerate what they tolerated in the past. I love today's talk, Dr. Chris. I hope you had a really great time talking about all these viruses and infections and preventative care that we can do when we're sick and our kids are sick and daycare. Um, and I, I'm so excited that we got some questions from the last time. Yeah, me so, too. And, and just keep writing in if you I'm have looking, more questions. I'm looking forward to more. Even if you have a story, it's a, a story about a friend or, you know, if you want to vent to us or just inform us of things or your opinion on, you know, what we just talked about. Totally just tell us. We're very excited. Or, to. or topics. Absolutely. Things you want topics, to talk about. all those things. Um, so we hope everyone had a really great and safe spring break. Um, didn't eat too much candy. Um, and we are looking forward to talking with you next week. All right, guys. See you next episode. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining our mom and doc talk. Did any questions come up while you were listening? 
Share your questions with Dr. Christopher and Azure by visiting www.blueemeraldwellness.com. You can also connect with them on Instagram at WeAreKidsHealthSecrets. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes or Spotify so we can continue answering your most pressing kids' health and parenting questions. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Mom and Doc Talk. The content of this podcast, the opinions and information provided by the co-host and guests are for educational purposes only and should not replace the care provided by your child's physician. If you or your child is ill or having an emergency, please call 911 or seek care immediately.